Turn to John chapter 20. We want to set the stage and remind ourselves of what's happening right now, currently in the story. So, we read in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as of yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Last week, we left John chapter 20 with three different perspectives of what has taken place. As Mary Magdalene arose early along with some other women to go and anoint the body of Jesus, on their way to toward the tomb of Jesus, Mary suddenly is in shock because she sees that the stone that, was, that, that sealed the tomb of Jesus had been rolled away. She quickly runs to John and Peter and says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So she already assumes what happens, that someone has stolen the body of Jesus. Peter and John both rush to the tomb and both go inside to investigate. And upon looking at the evidence of Jesus' empty grave clothes, Peter is perplexed. Peter is confused and believes that something horrible has happened, that the body of Jesus has been stolen. On the other hand, John believes that something miraculous has happened. The body wasn't stolen but Jesus has been risen from the dead. Both leave the tomb. One perplexed, the other confident. And each go to their own homes while Mary stays at the tomb. Mary is probably the most confused out of all of Christ's followers. She's definitely the most sorrowful. However, what was confusing and sad to Mary was, in fact, the greatest event in all of history. Friends, visitors, brothers and sisters, we come this morning to relive the happiest, most joyous event since the creation of the world. The inauguration of the new creation. 
We are looking at the moment when bursting through the walls of the tomb, out comes the Son of God in all of his grandeur, in all of his glory, in all of his majesty. Friends, when we think about the resurrection of Christ, we can't think of it as just another story of a dead person coming back to life. We can't think of the resurrection of Christ as if we know all that it details. We can't think of it and not be moved in our bones. For the resurrection of Christ is what the whole creation was waiting for. We read in the first two chapters of Genesis, God creates the world. God creates man. And then he creates everything inside the world. And the central theme of the creation story is that everything God makes, it's good. Day one, he creates, it's good. Day two, it's good. Day three, day four, day five, day six, all of it is good. Friends, everything at the beginning was oh so good. Everything in the beginning was completely wonderful. But when Adam fell, everything turned completely terrible. And ever since the fall of Adam, God's creation, as Paul says in Romans 8.20, was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, Adam. Friends, when Adam fell, not only did death spread to the entire human race, but creation itself died. That once perfect creation that God created is now scarred by sin. It's now dirty. It's now evil. And friends, we are feeling the effects of the fall even till this day, are we not? Our bodies ache. They hurt. We are slowly decaying away. We look at the world and we see how much chaos it's in, from wars to storms to hurricanes. And we ask ourselves, as Paul asked in Romans 11, has God abandoned his people? Has God abandoned the creation that he once called good? Will darkness finally win in the end? By no means. By no means. For the resurrection of Christ points to the day when everything that has been subjected under Christ's feet will be made alive again. When darkness is overpowered by the light on that first day morning when Christ walked out the tomb. Friends, the greatest hope that we have in this age and in the one that's to come is the fact that the tomb was empty. For Christ has been raised from the dead. And because he has been risen bodily from the dead, we too shall rise bodily from the dead. This theme of bodily resurrection is not some new development in Christianity. But it's what gave the faithful Old Testament saints hope. Daniel prophesied, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. 
Job prophesied, after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. David prophesied, for you will not abandon my soul to show or let your Holy One see corruption. Abraham believed God because he knew that God could raise even his son bodily from the dead. These men were pointing forward to the day when out of that cold and dark tomb, the eternal son of God emerged as a vindicated, justified savior. When they pointed to the day when finally someone stood up to the curse of Adam. And there stood Christ in all of his glory and majesty, body and soul, wholly beyond the reach of the effects of the fall. And this morning, we have the privilege of looking at the event, at that wonderful, most splendid event, through the eyes of someone who was there and who witnessed it all take place. This morning, I have three points I would like for you to consider. Number one, Mary's sorrow. Number two, Christ's appearance. And number three, our commission. Mary's sorrow, Christ's appearance, our commission. May you stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. John 20, verses 11 through 18. This is the word of God. Give it your full attention. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb as she wept, and as she wept, She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you, have, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him with me. Jesus said, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go and tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And they had said these things to her. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here by your grace. Holy Spirit, use me. Let them not see me or or hear me, but hear and see you, God. Feed us this morning. Allow us to see your son in all of his glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's look at the first point, and that is Mary's sorrow. Mary's sorrow. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped down to look into the tomb. Last week, one of our main points was the devotion of this wonderful woman named Mary Magdalene. She arose early while it was still dark. Before the sun has risen, Mary comes to the tomb of her beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. What faithfulness of this devoted woman. Like I said last week, how she puts us all to shame, does she not? She needed to be near Jesus. Nothing in this world could save her. 
She needed to see her Lord. She needed one last time to pay her respects to the one who had done a miracle in her life. Jesus had casted out seven demons from this woman. And ever since then, Mary became one of Jesus' most loyalist followers. Last week, we saw how Mary's love for Jesus knew no bounds and knew no limits. And once again this week, we see the devotion of this wonderful saint. Mary didn't have to arise early and go anoint the body of Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus has been dead for two days. She could have moved on with the rest of her life. But Mary didn't move on with the rest of her life. And in some ways, Mary can't move on with the rest of her life. Because Jesus is her life. She can't simply just part ways with Jesus and allow her mind to view Jesus as someone from the past, as someone who did a mighty work for her. So rather than go home like Peter and John did, Mary stays by the tomb, weeping. This type of weeping is one of anguish. It's, it's, one, of, of, it's the, one of those tears that, that's uncontrollable. It's one of those cries that that you almost can't stop crying. And the only thing that stops you from crying is your eyes get too tired and you fall asleep. She's weeping like a baby. Her mind was not convinced like, like, that, of, like that of John's, that our Lord had risen from the dead. It was not enough for her to know that the body was gone from the tomb and, and the tomb was empty. And something miraculous, yet mysterious and amazing has happened, as it was for Peter. Her strong love and gratitude toward our Lord made her linger near the tomb in faint hope that something might turn up, that something might turn up and explain where Jesus' body has gone. Maybe if I stay at this tomb long enough, I will get the answers that I so desperately desire. But Mary's sorrow and her love for Christ once again reminds us that love must be regulated by faith. It was love for Christ that caused Mary to weep. She was weeping because the tomb was empty. Yet, in fact, that was the very thing that should have made her rejoice. Mary, at this moment, had no reason to weep. For Christ was no longer in the tomb. But Mary lacked faith. And who Christ is. And thought that Christ, and the thought that, that Christ had been risen from the dead and that Christ is now alive never crossed her mind. Mary's weeping manifested her affection, but it showed her unbelief. How often are we too like Mary? We weep and mourn because we don't understand everything that's happening in our lives. When we weep, when our world is turned upside down, we demand answers now from God. Instead of trusting that God is working all things together for his glory. He's working all things together for his glory and our good. For the fame of his name and for our joy and sanctification. But Mary couldn't understand that. 
So she stands outside the tomb just weeping. However, her anxiety and her need for answers, they can't keep her outside of the tomb. So verse 1 tells us that she stooped down to peek inside the tomb. Mary wanted to see what John and Peter saw. But what Mary saw, John and Peter didn't see. Look at verse 11. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb, stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid. One at the head and one at the feet. What a wondrous sight to behold. What Peter and John didn't see, Mary was privileged to see. John and Peter simply saw the grave clothes of Jesus. Mary saw two angels dressed in white. But what's remarkable is Mary wasn't frightened. Usually when one comes face to face with an angel, they are immediately terrified. However, Mary doesn't show any emotion toward who they are. Because Mary was so concerned with who took the body of Jesus. She couldn't even realize that two angels were standing right in front of her. And if she knew her Old Testament, then she would know when angels appear, that means that they are announcing something. They are, they are about to proclaim something miraculous. Yet all of her tears blinded her eyes to see the spiritual reality of what's taken place. So in verse 13, the angels asked Mary, why is she so sorrowful? Verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Women, Mary, get a hold of yourself. Why are you crying so much? You should be rejoicing right now. It's similar to what these angels told the women who were accompanying Mary Magdalene on the way to the tomb. Mind you, if Mary Magdalene would have stayed with the other women and not have gone to go see Peter and John and tell them about the tomb, she would have saw these angels. And she would have heard this. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Mary, why are you so sad? Christ is not here. For he has risen. Mary, why are you weeping? You have no justification for your tears. Mary, think. And Mary, search your heart. Does not the fact that Christ is not here afford you ground for rejoicing? Rather than crying? But Mary, who seems to have a one-track mind, that's my mother's favorite saying, by the way, gives an answer to why she's weeping so much. She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, verse 13, and I don't know where they have laid him. So she says the same thing to these angels that she said to Peter and John back in verse 2. They have taken the Lord out the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Her finite reasoning is what's steering her thinking. It's what's steering her emotions. Before the angels could comfort her and respond to her, she immediately jumps in and explains why her heart is so broken. Someone has stolen the body of Jesus. And before the angels could reply and give her, give her that one 
grand explanation for all of this. Their mouths go completely shut. Before the angels could respond to Mary's weeping, their mouths completely go silent. The angels didn't reply to Mary's reasoning with words. But I would like to imagine that when Mary told the angels why she is weeping, I can imagine the angels suddenly smiling at her. Because standing behind her was the one whom she's been looking for this whole time. The angels didn't need to give Mary an explanation because the explanation is standing right behind her. Which leads to our next point, Christ's appearance. Christ's appearance. Look at verse 14. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, this begs the question, why couldn't Mary recognize Jesus? It is not as if she didn't know what Jesus looked like. She certainly did. However, Mary's failure to Mary's failure in not recognizing Jesus is no fault of her own. It's not it's not Mary's fault that she didn't recognize Jesus. For Jesus was unrecognizable. For Jesus' body was different. Friends, his resurrection body was far different than his pre-crucifixion body. That is why the linen cloth had to be removed from Christ. Because he no longer needed an earthly body, but he now had a heavenly body. Those earthly linen cloths didn't have the privilege of wrapping around Christ's skin any longer. For only righteousness could have the honor of clothing our Lord. Everything about the way Christ looked was different. For his body had been renewed. He went into the tomb, the one who people hid their face from. He came out the tomb with majesty and beauty in which no one could recognize. Christ's unrecognizable body speaks volumes to our greatest hope that we have in him. Our future resurrected bodies. Just as Christ was raised body and soul we too shall be raised body and soul. When Christ was raised, it signified that the curse that was brought upon Adam in the garden has been overthrown. Remember when God cursed Adam? You remember what, what God said? You are dust and to dust you shall return. Now, that still, friends, is undoubtedly true. To dust, we shall return. However, there will come a day when all of the dust shall rise. Just as Daniel prophesied, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. For those who have trusted in Christ alone for their salvation... The greatest promise is that we are not destined to be dust forever. 
as Isaiah prophesied, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. As that day approaches, when the earth will give birth to the dead, and out of the womb of the earth, the chosen seed in Christ will rise. Just as we bore the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. First Corinthians 15. Friends, when we were born, Adam's sin scarred that perfect image that we once were created in. It did damage to that once perfect image. However, because Christ has been raised, that perfect image that, has, that was destroyed is now being renewed in him. We were born in Adam's old guilty humanity. But glory be to God, for he blew the wind over our dry bones and caused us to be reborn into a new humanity, a better humanity, Christ's humanity. We are taken out of Adam, out of that dominion of darkness, and placed in the kingdom of light, Jesus Christ. So let pain come. Let suffering come. Let decay come, for death no longer holds any stain to our mortal bodies. Because one day, saints, our Lord will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. As Paul says in Philippians 3.21, I love how Joe put it, after my skin, after my skin has been destroyed, But yet in my flesh, with the very eyes that I see now, that I use now, I will see God. We will have the same of everything, but only a million times better. Friends, don't worry if you, when you are raised, if you will be Tony's height, 6'8". Don't wonder if you're going to be handsome and you'll have dimples. And you'll have that six-pack that you so long for. Friends, the greatest hope that we have is not in our fleshly, sinful, wanted things. But the hope that we have is our body will be like Christ. And when it says that we will see God... That points to our glorification because no one can see God unless they are glorified like him. Our eyes will behold the king. Christ will not be like many saw him, the suffering servant, in our eyes. Christ will not be that for us. We will not see him as that. But we will see him as a risen, conquering Savior, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. 
the unrecognizable body that Mary saw, that Mary can't see, is a picture of what she will be like one day. Praise God for the resurrection of Christ. Praise God that he raised his son from the dead. And then that one who's standing speaks. Then that one who is unrecognizable speaks. Look at verse 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus asked the same question the angels did, but he took it a bit further and asked, whom are you seeking? The angels asked, why are you crying? Jesus asked, whom are you seeking? In verse 15, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. Now let's remember, guys, that Christ's tomb was placed in a garden. So it's totally natural for Mary to suppose Jesus to be the gardener. Right? That's why she asked, if you've taken him away, just tell me where he's at and I'll go get him. But the gardener? That's what you come up with, Mary? Mary? However, everything that's written in John is not by accident. What Mary supposed in ignorance was once again the deepest truth. Because just like on that first day that we read in Genesis 1, here we come again to another first day in John 20. Just like on that first day when God created the world. Here on the first day, God through his son is remaking the world all over again. And that unlikely tomb in the garden became the womb of a new creation. And from it birthed the firstborn from the dead. The son of God who will once again speak into the darkness. God will once again speak light where the dark is found. The constant refrain in Genesis has been, it was, there was evening and then there's morning. And the great saying from the Reformation, after darkness, there's light. And here, once again, we see light emerging here in this garden, like a new Eden was the gardener himself. Walking once again amongst his creation. God and humanity are reconnected and reconciled and reconciled. And the reconciliation is forever woven back into the fabric of the world. Friends, the resurrection of Christ is not some ordinary Easter Sunday service message that we are so accustomed to listening to. 
the resurrection of Christ is that moment when history was turned around. For creation itself has been awaiting the moment when the hope for a renewed world would come to pass. Creation was waiting for a hope. As Paul says in Romans 8, 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know that the creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Until now. For so long, the world has been groaning and waiting. But Christ did not abandon the creation that he once called good. He dealt with his people, but he didn't say, but that whole world, that whole ugly, disgusting world, I'm just going to leave that behind. But no, he dealt with that in his resurrection. In the resurrection, Christ takes that old order of this sort of creation, thorns, thistles, suffering, pain, down deep, and he buries it into the tomb. Not just our bodies, but our, the entire creation was buried into the tomb. And just like our bodies, the whole creation will be affected by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Rivers, hills, animals, all freed from decay. Adam was placed in the garden and all things went terrible. Christ was raised in the garden in order that all things will be made new. Saints, if you have any doubt this morning, you have reason to hope. As Mary sees Christ as the gardener, but how appropriate is that title for Christ? Because he is the gardener. But also, how appropriate was it for Christ to visit Mary first? Just as the woman Eve was the first to taste death, so a woman, Mary Magdalene, was the first to taste life. Just as a woman was there at the fall, so a woman was there in beholding the dawning of redemption, thus reversing the curse upon Eve. What a great hope we have in Christ. But friends, we don't just keep this hope to ourselves. But we must pass on this hope, which leads to our last point, the commission. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, so she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. What we see here is the wonderful goodness of our Lord. Do we not? The sweet tenderness of our Savior. The perfect patience of our King. Jesus didn't give up on Mary. Jesus didn't rebuke Mary in her ignorance and say, Mary, why didn't you read the scriptures? Why didn't you listen to me? I told you that I will rise on the third day. 
Rather, he comes to her and he calls her by her name. But did you notice the switch in the way Jesus spoke to Mary? Did you catch that at all? At the first encounter with Mary, he referred to her as woman. Because at that moment, the gardener was speaking to his creation. Here, Jesus calls her by her name, Mary, because the shepherd is speaking to his sheep. And upon hearing her name from the Lord, Mary turned around and she saw him. But how did Mary know that it was Jesus who was calling her name? How did Mary recognize Jesus' voice? Because Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. The sheep, all of Christ's sheep, know the voice of the shepherd. Friends, you are a product of that. You are a great example of that. If you have trusted in Christ for your salvation, you, like Mary, heard the voice of Jesus. The gospel was preached to you. And your eyes and minds and hearts were enlightened. The good shepherd calls Mary by name. And at once, Mary's faith is renewed. In an instant, Mary's faith is renewed. At once, Mary had reason to hope again. Friends, let this be some comfort for you this morning. In our darkest hours, when our world is totally turned upside down, when we think that we are all alone, when we have cried so much, our eyes begin to swell. Don't lose heart. Christ is not distant from the, from the people whom he loves. He's not distant from his creation. But he will appear and he will promise you and he will reassure you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. As Micah said, though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light for me. Christ chose Mary to be the first witness of his resurrection. And it was necessary and fitting for Mary to be the first, was it? Was it not? I mean, you think about it. Why didn't Christ go to John and Peter? Why didn't he appear to all of his followers first? At least the men first. But there's a reason why Christ appeared to Mary first. And it's because Mary is the one who needed Christ the most. Just as God heard the cry of his people back in the Exodus, God once again hears the cry of his own. So Jesus comes to Mary and he comforts her. Friends, God is not distant from your cries, but he hears you. He hears you. In those darkest hours when you weep, the Lord will be a light for you. And he will reassure you that everything will be okay, that all things are working for his good, for his glory. And he will take you to the field and he will lie you down in green pastures. 
Let that be some comfort for you. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Don't, do not cling to me. For I have not ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. It is at, at this moment, you can picture as soon as Mary saw Jesus, she must have either bear hugged Jesus or she must have came and just threw herself upon Jesus' feet. Jesus says, Mary, don't cling to me. Mary, as my wonderful nephew says, get off me, dude. <laughs> That's all I can think about when I was reading, when I was studying for this. Don't cling to me, Mary. Everything is okay. Stop mourning and grieving over me, Mary, but I'm alive. But Mary, you have to understand that I must leave this earth. I have to leave this earth. Mary, I must go and prepare a place for you and for all of my sheep. And if I don't go, Mary, then the other comforter won't come. I have to go. I have to leave. I have to ascend to my father. I must ascend to my father and your father and to my God and your God. But friends, let's not skim past what Christ has just said there. Let's not read this, read that and say, oh, that's wonderful. That's great. But once again, that is one of the deepest, most profound truths that we stand upon. Because in that statement alone, there is enough truth and blankets to comfort the most weakest Christian to the greatest hero of the faith. Why? Jesus refers to God as Mary's father. Because Christ has been raised, God is no longer Mary's wrathful judge. But he is now her heavenly father. Praise God for this resurrection that we are so privileged to relive this morning. That God is no, no longer looking upon us as evil and wicked. But he sees us as he sees his son. And God Almighty is now her God. God is her father. And God is her God. Fulfilling what God said in Jeremiah 32. They will be my God. And they will be my people. And I will be their God. I will be their God. Oh, we need to be reminded of that daily. Daily, we need to be reminded that he is my God, that he is my father. That God no longer sees us as sinners, but on the account of Christ, he sees us as his son, holy, unblemished, and righteous. Friends, justification is so much better than God sees me as if I have never sinned. It's better than that. He sees me as his son. And in that, I have never sinned. I am perfect. I am holy in his son. But right now, I'm still living in this body. I'm still living in this world 
That is why Christ has to go so the Holy Spirit can come and indwell all of the sheep so that we will be presented holy, unblemished, like a bride on her wedding day. God sees me. God sees us as his son. And now because of what, had, what God has done in Christ for us, now that we have this hope, now that we know all the truths of, of the hope of, that lies in Christianity and we stand upon that, we have work to do. We have work to do. Verse 17, Jesus told Mary, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Christ gives Mary a commission. He sends Mary out to go and announce to my brothers that I am alive, that all is well. And in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Mary didn't wait. Mary didn't ponder. Mary didn't ask herself, what are ways in which I can tell Christ's brothers that he has risen from the dead? What are the programs I can set up? What, what are some of the things I can, I can lure them with? Maybe I can go get them candy or, or something like that. Friends, no program is able to do what the unfiltered gospel can do. And that is break into the darkness of one's heart so that they may see Christ for who he is. Brothers and sisters, that commission that was given to Mary is given to us as well. Just like in the beginning when God gave Adam that first commission, we are commissioned as well. We are to go to every highway, every rooftop, every city, every country, every neighborhood, every house. We are to tell every person that we come in contact with that the tomb was empty. We are to go and preach the sufferings of our Savior and the resurrection of our glorious conqueror. Announced to a world of people who are dying daily in their sins that Jesus Christ and him alone lie forgiveness and hope. Friends, when we think about the resurrection of Christ, let us not simply think that all it details is a dead person rising back to life. You know, one of the things about Lazarus is he was raised, but Lazarus died again. Unlike us, when we will be raised and live eternally with him. The resurrection of Christ is that foundation that all of our hopes and promises stand upon. The resurrection of Christ is the very reason, guys, why you can trust in Christ alone for your salvation. For as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not raised, we are still in our sins. 
But God would not let his Holy One see decay. The Father vindicated his Son, sacrificed by rising him from the dead. And out of that cold and dark tomb emerged the first fruits of a royal harvest of life. Saints, this morning, be of good cheer. Leave here with a better hope than the one you came in with. For that same bodily resurrection is yours. It's yours. Yes, we will go to the grave, but the grave will not be our home forever. But there will come a day, a day unlike any other, when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh, Jesus, come quickly. So, brothers and sisters, when you hear the whisperings of Satan, when you feel the weight of your sin, and when things all around you, when the world itself is crashing Right before your very eyes, remember the glory of the risen one. Let's pray.